World War I troops were the first to be diagnosed with a new condition, shell shock. In Dublin, a unique and groundbreaking initiative to treat these traumatised soldiers began at the Richmond War Hospital. This was a small specialist psychiatric hospital located on the grounds of the Richmond District Asylum at Grange Gorman. Descriptions of patients from the War Hospital archives offer an insight into the minds of those who'd gone through a traumatic war experience. In October 1918, a 23-year-old Catholic captain was admitted to Richmond War Hospital owing to the hardships of war and being buried by shellfire. The admitting officer noted that he seems rather weak and emotional, tongue tremulous, fine tremor of limbs. Mentally he was dull, depressed and confused, replies more by motion of his head. Case history, driver A.B., he is so confused, he does not realise where he is and speaks at times as if he believed he was in France. He was blown up by a shell behind the lines. He seems rather nervous and apprehensive. When questioned more closely, he asked, The guns are coming out, aren't they? Aren't they coming up for a rest? When he drops off to sleep, he wakes up in a fright and fancies someone is beside his bed. He states he hears everyone talking about him but cannot tell what they say. He complains of some pain in his head and loss of memory. When questioned if he were in France, he said... Yes. And then... No, I remember now. I'm in Ireland, aren't I? I think I am. A collection of excerpts there from the Richmond War Hospital archives. The hospital was a 32-bed complex dedicated to the treatment of members of the British Expeditionary Forces suffering from shell shock and other mental disorders. Between June 1916 and December 1919, 386 patients were treated. About half of those patients were reported as having recovered afterwards. The treatment provided there was pioneering at the time and contributed greatly to further developments in the treatment of mental health. I'm joined now by Eamon Delaney, author and director of The Lion and the Shamrock, a website dedicated to telling the stories of Irishmen who fought in the British Army in two world wars. Eamon, you're very welcome indeed Thank to the you History Show. Now, shell shock, or I mean, nowadays we'd call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Had anything like it been seen before World War One, or was it the direct result of the uh, industrialization of warfare in the early 20th century? It was very much the latter. The scale of World War One, the nature of it, the industrialized quality, as you said, really brought it to the fore on a huge scale. But obviously all conflict, all wars, soldiers were traumatized. It was bottled up, it was part of the game. They worked it out through conflict, through the adrenaline, of course, fight or fright. In the Boer War, there were the first diagnosis cases, but that may be miles because medicine had changed that they could identify it or want to identify it. But uh, So it was on a small scale, but really immediately with Mons and with those battles in autumn 1914, it was apparent that this was a kind of type of war like no other. There was a massive bombardment, highly explosive shells, and soldiers were stuck in trenches. The mm. race to sea, as I called it, where the lines were formed, the soldiers couldn't get out and fight. They couldn't work it off. So they're sitting ducks. So that added to their trauma. And uh, two other reasons, the calibre of soldier was different. It was a citizen's army, Kitchener's new army. It wasn't professional. And thirdly, certainly by 1916, 
and maybe even earlier on, it was realised this was a pointless war. It seemed pointless. So those three things contributed. How did the symptoms then present themselves and, and what was the initial reaction from the, the British military? Were they compassionate or did they adopt the kind of curtain treatment, pull yourself together? Well, they felt that the guys should just get on with it and uh, go back to fight. But there was a recognition that it could demoralise the other soldiers, spread panic in the ranks and that other soldiers might emulate them and imitate them and also not have to serve. In some famous cases, of course, it was treated as desertion and disobedience and they were shot at dawn and that's another whole mm. whole area. But uh, there was some sympathy. Certainly the medical doctors on the ground were very sympathetic and said, you've got to recognise this is a level of trauma we haven't seen in soldiers before. It needs to be treated. It needs to be uh, taken seriously. I suppose some of the most famous ones would be uh, the treatment of, of uh, Siegfried Sassoon in Craig Lockhart. Yes, exactly. By, by yeah. Rivers. But the, the Richmond War Hospital, our own example, our own Craig Lockhart, I suppose, was situated within the Richmond Asylum Complex. Was it open specifically to treat soldiers suffering from shell shock? It was, yeah. There, there was a, an existing mental health facility there, as you know. It was a spillover from that. The army said that they needed certain hospitals, obviously, with World War I underway. So Leopardstown was developed. The George V Hospital, which is now St. Brickens. There were hospitals all around the country. There was lots of it in the UK and Belfast was very active. But in Dublin, the Richmond War Hospital mm. was the venue and that's where it was used. Tell us about Gordon Holmes, the doctor who oversaw the Richmond War Hospital well, and uh, what the kind of treatment, uh, to what extent he was pioneering in, in this treatment. Well, you see, he was already... Uh, some of these doctors and psychiatrists, including uh, Rivers in the UK... They were already pioneers in this area. They were experimenting in psychotherapy. Uh, Sigmund Freud was kind of dominant and he was in the war and said, there's a way I can deal with this. We need to be sympathetic. But he was a neurologist as opposed to a psychiatrist. So he was dealing with head injuries, of which there were many. So he was, he was kind of rebuffed and told that you had to just focus on the head injuries, the fractures and the brain concussion and brain damage and not in the psychiatric aspect, which is another thing. So the whole area there as to how much of it's physical and how much was just psychiatric, you know. What kind of treatments were used? So the treatments were kind of just basic stuff you do now for anyone suffering from, I mean, lots of rest and recreation, bucolic setting, if you could, in a landscaped area. There were drugs used. Bromide was one. Valerian. These were used as sedatives and the Germans used them quite a lot because uh, they also had shell shock, of course, on, on a vast scale. Some of it involved cups of coffee. The one guy became addicted to coffee. That was in the, in the files. quite interesting. I would have thought it was a, a hyper thing, but, it, you know, it relaxes people to feel good quality to it. But a lot of it was just basic stuff. And as Brendan Kelly has said in his book, he lost himself completely, which is a wonderful short history of the Richmond War Hospital. It's just basic tender loving care like all hospitals would have but up to then soldiers regards just rough and ready and they weren't given that kind of tender loving care you know and were people like Holmes were they trusted in their approach by knew, the there was a lot of battles I mean this book mm. I brought here Taylor Downing Breakdown the Crisis of Shell Shock in the Somme 1916 he just documents the battles that the medical people had with the military with Haig with uh, Rawlinson with the various uh, generals who argued that the Edwardian era or the, this era was producing uh, effeminate men or not real soldiers, were the hardy men who fought the Boer War and across India and Afghanistan. So the doctors had to fight to have the soldiers treated and looked after, you know, and have their techniques uh, cared for. You've looked at some individual yeah. cases. Um, now, as we've heard from that collage, you don't have the, the names as such. No, the, the, no, the names are, you can you work out the details and regiments, mm. um, but uh, yes, a private VW. So he was blown out of a trench at Arras with the Battle of Arras. 
and his speech was affected. Uh, his tongue was tremulous. He was stammering. You would have thought they were kind of mild symptoms, actually, con- compared to what others would suffer, who were just absolutely catatonic. But um, he had headaches and noises, visions, and insomnia is a large part of it. A lot of the demons came out at night. I found that in stories that I sought out in my own project with the Lion and the Shamrock, you know, talking to families. It was uh, at night time that it really came to the fore. But with rest and treatment of the various sources, he was able to go on a recovery week by week. And after two weeks, he was cheerful. And after two months, he was discharged. So it was quite rapid. It mm. wasn't, they weren't there for months. They were there for just a few weeks. But they weren't sent back. Some were sent back. There was a desire to have them sent back. But the feeling was the army didn't want them back. Yeah. Really. They'd, so they probably still thought of them as malingers, as the word it was. You know? I mean, for the layman or laywoman, Robert Gray's book, Goodbye to All That, it's mm. a wonderful book, uh, just a wonderful book in general, but it's a, it really brings home all of what soldiers were, were suffering. But because he's a writer and a poetic sensibility, he really is vivid about it. And he describes going back to, on leave, because some of the soldiers went back to leave and went back, especially officers, not the serving privates so much. But in Piccadilly Circus, he'd just see on the ground men dying there. But they weren't there. They were just soldiers in trenches, Miles. They just literally, people were watching there were just flashbacks in the middle of a bus in a train. It could be in Dublin. And because what they saw was just incredible, the amount of death, the amount of injury and the bombardment of the shells, you know. And especially at the Somme, Miles, I mean, you're looking, there's carnage in the first day, the 1st of July, 1916. There's carnage for that whole month. It just continues vast casualty uh, figures. Which prompts the question whether... 368 soldiers being treated at Richmond War Hospital was really a drop in the ocean. It it was a drop in the ocean, I think, yeah. We're talking about now because it's Grange Gorman Histories Project. I did this essay for them and Grange Gorman's been redeveloped as a campus. And look, every human life is sacred. Every soldier's life is a life, you know, but it is very small compared to the scale of people, you know. Mm. I think it's of all significance also because the techniques in psychoanalysis and therapy were pioneering and were then brought into mainstream psychiatry for all people and not just for soldiers, you know. But there must have been hundreds of thousands who went completely undiagnosed. Yeah, exactly. Back so, to so civilian life. In, in the stories, I just have these short stories, really personal stories on the website. A lot of what the family said was the guys went back and just became heavy smokers, heavy drinkers, didn't talk about it or else just buried it, you know. Mm. It, it should be said that an awful lot of people served, came back and didn't seem to be affected. That's the same for World War Two, But I think what World War One it was the nature of the war. And also in, in the Irish case, they came back to a country that had changed politically totally, and they didn't yeah. feel wanted. Adjoining Grange Gorman, there's a small road, which is in a way yeah, a memorial to yeah, those soldiers. Yeah, Marne Road. This is something to point out to me, only relatively recent actually. So that's for the Battle of the Marne, the great French standoff where they fought to defend their Paris ultimately and uh, it's on Grange Gorman there at the end of Rackdown Road just a few steps from Richmond War Hospital so it's a fitting a fitting address you know Memorial. Okay um, thank you very much indeed yeah, for talking much. to us and anybody who wants to know more about Irishmen who served in the British Army during World War One and who suffered the kind of mental torture and mental anguish that Eamon's been talking about can uh, look at Eamon's website The Lion and the Shamrock and there you'll find a lot of poignant personal stories of Irish veterans of World War One and also details of upcoming tours and talks My guest was Eamon Delaney Great to talk to you Thanks. about the Richmond Thanks. War Hospital a pioneering hospital right in the heart of Dublin City.
That's all we've time for in this evening's programme. Details of all our items, as well as podcasts, are available on our website, rte.ie forward slash history show. Our researcher is Liz Gillis. The History Show is a Pegasus production for RTE. For now, from me, Miles Dungan, and producer Logan Clancy, goodbye and thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at RTE History Show. 